Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tian Talk. Firstly, before we get started, I would like to acknowledge the Bedigal, Gadigal, and Lunwal people whose, whose land UNSW resides on. I pay my respect to elders past and present and to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people watching or listening along with us today. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. For those new to Tian Talk, this is our chance to chat about what wellness actually means for university students. Every episode will be exploring the bitter, the sweet, and all the flavors in between of mental health, all of which with a cup of tea in hand. Um, so grab a cuppa, get cozy, and let's chat. Uh, my name is Severe. I'm a wellness warrior VL for this term. I'm currently in Hong Kong right now, um, and I'm a first year social work student. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Anushka. Please go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, your pronouns, and most importantly, what's in your cup today? Hey everyone, uh, my name is Anushka. I am a general psychologist. I'm currently doing my registers program in educational developmental psychology. I run a private practice called Umid Psychology that's um, sort of aimed at supporting Asian Australians and Pacific Islanders. I also run a podcast called The Shore, uh, Shore Project, um, which is a podcast that aims to provide resources to people from migrant backgrounds. Um, so we talk a lot about migrant um, issues, including mental health, sexual health, uh, career development, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I work full-time at a high school as a school psychologist. So that's a little bit about myself. My pronouns are she and her. I have a cool mug. I want to say that there's something fun in it, like tea, but I forgot to make tea. So there's water. But it's really hot today in Melbourne. So, I mean, it's not the worst. It's important to stay hydrated. <laughs> Good. As long as there's something in there, we're, we're all good. Um, mm -hmm. So just carrying on for what you spoke about, what is your area of specialization in psychology? And follow up from that, what made you kind of want to go into that specialization? Yep. Um, so my endorsement is in educational developmental psychology, and that is an area where we work throughout the lifespan. Um, so that means anywhere from like... Um, or pediatrics all the way to geriatrics and anything that sits in between. I myself work uh, with a lot of young people. So like I said, work in a high school, um, primarily work with um, teenagers. And then the reason that I like to work in that space is because I feel like a lot of change can be made at an early age. I did a research project back in my third year of uni where we sort of explored resiliency. And we found that uh, people between the ages of 18 to 25, we couldn't do the research a little bit they age gap younger than that because of ethics but in our actual study we found people between the ages of 18 and 25 were least resilient and it's because there's all these life transitions happening so you're going through you know moving out of home starting university starting a new job maybe getting in relationships etc etc and so because life changes haven't happened yet you're not quite resilient to those factors and so what I realized was that because you're not as resilient you're probably facing a lot more stress, a lot more depression, a lot more anxiety, learning to cope with those things at an early age, whether if that's 18 to 25 or even earlier than 18. So in your teenage years is super important because you've got to equip yourself with the tools so that you can sort of work through the different emotional up and downs uh, throughout your lifespan. So the, the work that I do in the high school is very much focused around prevention there is a bit of intervention involved as well so do counseling but I like running programs and stuff um, I've also got a research paper that I published around um, supporting uh, academic sorry staff members um, at school 
in dealing with student trauma because quite often we forget that um, tertiary education doesn't allow for teachers to actually learn about mental health issues and therefore they're not as equipped to support young people or identify issues. So we look at like having a whole wide like school approach to like understanding mental health and, you know, sort of doing again that prevention work within like classrooms as well. Uh, and then from there, the other side of things that I answered, uh, sort of, I guess you wanted to say specialize in or um, would love to have an endorsement area in is cultural psych. So um, I'm, I'm a New Zealand born Fijian Indian, so from all parts of the world at the moment. Um, and I grew up obviously here in Australia. And I think growing up, what I realized was there was a very big lack of services around, I guess, South Asian therapists or even just like Asian therapists altogether, or even culturally competent therapists. And so um, having like, you know, tried to seek out therapy myself when I was younger, going to people and then realizing, oh, like, you know, it takes me six or seven sessions to explain my culture and how difficult it is to be a third culture kid, um, that I'm not actually getting to the root of my actual problem. And so that encouraged me then last year to do a research project around um, the impact of culture on mental health. And more specifically, I was looking at like intergenerational family trauma and I was looking at the, the population of Asian Australians. And it was super interesting to me, you know, it, was, it wasn't anything that the, the community doesn't already know. It's not anything that we probably in society don't already know, but there wasn't any research around it. So I am hoping to do that as a publication eventually as well. But it is a lot of the work that I do with um, people through me is around that cultural aspect so that when they my clients come in quite often, they'll be like, oh, you know, like, I like that I can just go into this and be like, I have brown people problems or I have like, you know, I'm Asian and like, oh, I, you know, if you understand how Asian families work and I'll be like, yeah, I do. And so it's sort of that groundwork's already laid out. doesn't mean that I'm any more of a like qualified therapist. It just means that I understand, I guess, that cultural aspect. And I do deal a lot with uh, biculturalism and like learning to strike the balance between, I guess, if you're growing up between cultures or, um, if you've moved from overseas and you're learning to acculturate, like how to sort of find that sweet spot and that sweet balance of like fitting in. Um, but yeah, that's sort of like the main reason that I've gone into the areas that I've gone into because I saw that there was a gap and I was like, something needs to be done about this. Yeah, that, that sounds great. Um, I wanted to ask you about the, I guess, to the extent to which um, culture varies in, I guess, stigma around mental health talking about mental health with parents with friends to what real extent does culture influence and impact that oh I think it has a huge impact um, depending on which culture you come from I think the stigma for mental health is like giant ginormous um, and like the conversation that you have around it is also you know really, really varied. Um, so what I found in working in Asian, Australian and Pacific Islander sort of um, context is specifically so far is that we don't talk about mental health. So in most Asian uh, cultures and in most Asian languages, we don't have the, the words to sort of discuss mental health. Like there's no Hindi word for mental health, for example. There's no Urdu word for mental health. I mean, even if you were to speak Sinhalese or Tamil, there's no there's no word for it. So like, if we don't have the words to describe that, how do you express it? How do you express something that we don't have the words for? Um, a couple of years ago, I went back to Fiji and I was doing some counseling in um, a women's shelter and I was doing it in Fiji Hindi. And I came to realize that 
even as a, as a therapist trying to explain, hey, do you ever feel anxious? I realized that there wasn't a word for anxiety. And then in order to explain anxiety, it would take like so many more words. So it would be, a, and it would be a lot of physical symptoms, not sort of like the mental symptoms. So you've got mental, emotional and physical symptoms when it comes to mental health. So your physical symptoms are things like, you know, your heart's racing, um, you get sweaty palms, uh, you can't sleep at night, that sort of thing. Your mental um, aspect of that is like having uh, reoccurring thoughts and rumination. And then your emotional side of that is maybe you're feeling like low mood, and you're feeling down and upset and, you know, worried and all of that sort of stuff. And so when you're talking to people from like Asian cultures, they'll more often than not discuss sort of the physical symptoms. They'll be like, I get headaches or I can't sleep at night or, you know, my tummy aches or my heart races. And so all of that has to be used to describe mental health, but then then try and draw that line between, okay, but this means this and this is how things are connected. I think it just takes so many more so much more language to actually express what's going on. And again, that concept of mental health doesn't exist in a lot of Asian cultures. It doesn't sort of, we don't talk about it. Um, and quite typically because of the stigma that's associated, it's very much like, oh, you're seen as crazy or there's something severely wrong with you. And then in like different cultures, there's this whole concept of like loss of face. So if we talk about, you know, because of the way that mental health is viewed, that because it's to do with your mind, and if something's not right and you can't just pull yourself together, then something's severely wrong with you. So therefore, like, you must be psychotic. And therefore, like, you know, if we talk about these things, um, what will other people think? What will other people say? How will the community view us? And that's, like, a really big thing as well within Asian communities is, like, we're so collectivistic and we're so tight-knit that... Um, it's wonderful for support, but it also sucks because everyone knows everyone's business for the most part. And the concept of what other people think holds so much more value than I think it does in Western cultures. Um, and so again, like the way to destigmatize mental health is to talk about it, but we don't talk about it because we're worried about what other people are going to think and say. And we don't actually know how to talk about it because we don't have the language for it. And then the other aspect of that, which I realized last year when doing my research is, and um, one of the core Asian values is emotional regulation. And all that means is like, you're not supposed to talk about your emotions. You're supposed to be able to regulate your own emotions. So, you know, like if you're feeling sad or happy or whatever, like you're supposed to be able to pull yourself to equilibrium rather than discuss it. So if you're having mental health issues and your core value as a person who's from an Asian descent is to be able to pull yourself together by yourself. You're not having conversations at home. And then, you know, because of loss of face, you're not actually allowed to be talking to your friends or family members about what's going on with you. And then as a result of that, then you're like, you're like oh, well, what's the point of talking to a therapist about things? Because that's also like, you know, we're not allowed to talk about home things outside of home, but we're also not allowed to talk about home things at home. So we just never resolve anything. You just hold it all in. And I think in the Asian community, that's where, um, a lot of the stigmatization and like mental health, um, I don't know, like issues fester. And then like you get into adulthood and you're like, oh, actually it's okay to talk. Um, so I know there's a lot of like different facets of that, but I think in a nutshell, that's where it would be. Yeah, you touched on um, your experience as a counselor. And I think for me personally, that interests me because in the future, I kind of want to get into counseling as well. Um, so I just wanted to ask about the, how do you approach um, speaking to someone about 
their mental health when they physically don't have the language for it or they're not used to um, kind of exploring those topics? Depends on who you're talking to it about. If you're talking to someone about it because they've come to you for counselling, um, it's a lot of psychoeducation around mental health. So we, you know, start off discussing, like, what does mental health mean to you? You know, what is what what encompasses good mental health? So that's really important to see where someone's at to begin with. Um, if someone was to ask me, what does good mental health look like? I would say, you know, you're present, you're centred, you're grounded. Um, and it's kind of like you're at peace, even though there's chaos going on around you. Um, and for every person that might look different. If you were to start that conversation within the community or like with your parents and you come from a, like a multicultural or multi-ethnic background, because this isn't like, even though the research that I've done is sort of specific to Asian Australians, um, a lot of my, my kids at school, the school's quite multi-ethnic. Um, they're from sort of European backgrounds. So it's very similar for them as well. So if you're, you know, Macedonian, Italian, Greek, um, Lebanese and it's it's very similar for them in the sense of like they can't really talk about their feelings and they can't their parents don't quite understand what mental health and it's is and it's for a lot of the same reasons and so if you're trying to have that conversation at home one of my suggestions would be like start small you know like if you're for example Indian chuck on a tv show or a movie that like maybe sort of touches on like mental health and like have a discussion with your parents in a really general sense and be like oh what do you think like you know what do you think of this person and like what do you think was going on in here like Dia's in the is a great movie about like anxiety and it covers it so wonderfully um and having like you know a very general conversation about the movie and then like maybe a week later having a very general conversation about like oh well you know how would you explain anxiety around whatever and then like maybe then building up the conversation to like talk around you because I think when we don't have a language for something and we're very worried about what other people are going to be thinking of us again in terms of loss of face um it's kind of good to start off on a general basis and like get a general understanding of something and then sort of build your way into it um and I think that fosters discussion that you probably normally wouldn't have because it's hard, right? It's hard to go up to like your parents or like someone within the community and be like, oh, auntie, uncle, or mom, dad, like, I think you might have anxiety or I think I might have anxiety. And they're just like, what, what do you mean? Like, we don't know what that is um, versus like actually going through and having that conversation from a very general sort of, it's like a funnel. Think of it like a funnel. You're starting off broad and you're making your way into something more specific. Yeah, I never, I never thought of that, of just putting on a general movie linking to it and trying to spark conversation from that, but I think that's a really good... Yeah, I mean, we talk about stuff all the time, like, why not? It's just, like, the easiest sort of method. Or, like, you know, a TED Talk or a YouTube video or... I mean, there's so many examples of psych and therapy. I think, you know what, I used to do a lot of work with children, and so because I used to work with children, I used to incorporate a lot of um, TV shows and movies and all that sort of stuff to engage them a little bit better. And so when you're, when you're working with children, you've got to teach them from scratch. So you've got to actually teach them what they're feeling. So you've got to be like, this is what angry means. This is what happy means. And you've got to sort of work through that before you even get into do they feel anything and what the problem is. Um, and so as a result of that, I've I've come about using these sort of methods a lot with kids and then obviously now working with adolescents and adults. I still do the same thing, but like, you know, with their shows. So I'd be like, oh, you know, like a great show is Lucifer. Another really good show that has, I just, I can't watch anything anymore without not like, not like sort of noticing 
a psych aspect to it. Uh, yeah, it's kind yeah. of annoying a little bit, but it is kind of it's like it's kind of interesting. Like if anyone's watched WandaVision, great TV show to like explain all of the stages of grief, like grief and loss, because she starts off at the start and she ends up at like ends up at acceptance. And like if you wanted to explain grief and loss to someone, that would be a great show to watch. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I, lo- I loved watching WandaVision and I, so I, good. Never, I never thought of it like that until you just mentioned it. So Yeah, when you, you to... watch her go through all the stages. Yeah. You okay. can pinpoint yeah. it. It's amazing. I never, I never thought of that. I need to watch it again and, and <laughs> yeah, look at like, it from that perspective. Um, so following on from what you mentioned, um, what is the idea of a third culture kid? Oh. Okay, so a third culture kid is someone who is and this could this could be for a lot of different I'll go through the different examples but essentially it's like you've got your home culture you've got your host culture and then your culture that's in between and so your home culture is like the the culture that your parents are sort of from your host culture is where you live or predominantly grow up in and then the middle culture is kind of like the third culture is like a combination sort of of both and so I think if you if you go onto my um, Instagram page so it means psychology so U-M-E-E and then psychology on Instagram I've got actually um, a diagram of third culture kids and what that looks like and I've got a little example of like what mine looks like because it's just it's it's a really cool visual to look at and so this could be um, you could be a third culture kid say if you were born overseas and you grew up somewhere else Um, you could be a third culture kid if you're like a child of migrant parents so for example um, if I was to use myself an example my third culture would be, my, my, my multiple cultures, I guess, would be I'm Kiwi, I'm also Australian, I'm also Fijian, and I'm also Indian. So that's a huge combination. And I draw from each of these different cultures. So I can speak Hindi, I can speak Fiji Hindi as well. My culture, I am Hindu. So like I, I do a lot of the traditions that I would from like, you know, my ancestors in India. Um, but then there's a certain aspect of like Fijian culture that's a little bit different to like normal Indian culture. And so that's combined into that. I grew up between New Zealand and Australia. And so then again, my values and like, I guess some of the things that I do, my hobbies, my habits, all of that sort of comes from those two spaces. And so coming from New Zealand and Australia would have been fine. Coming from Fiji, India would have been fine as well. But when you come for all of those different spaces and all of the values and intricacies like, sort of embedded in you it becomes difficult because Australia New Zealand quite western cultures um, Fiji and India are eastern and then the difference between that is that like Australia New Zealand is individualistic Uh, so the focus on like I guess the community or society when you're born in western cultures or in individualistic cultures is that you know, we focus on you as an individual. Any decision you make is only your decision versus when you're like Indian or Fijian or you're, you know, coming from Asian backgrounds or like European backgrounds sometimes. The focus is on the collective. So the collective, so your community, your family, all of that comes before you do. And so your values are oriented around and your decision-making is oriented around all of these different aspects. So whoever I get married to, whatever career path I choose, um, I don't know, any decision that I make essentially comes back and affects the collective versus, you know, when you're living in a Western country and like when you're living in an individualistic culture, the decisions you make only impact you. So it's when you're living between both of those things, it becomes really difficult um, because, for example, like when you're growing up here and you come from a collectivistic background, 
like your friends might not understand why you have to do things with your family or why things are so why why it's so difficult for you to make decisions for yourself sometimes it can cause a lot of problems and I could, like I'll go into that a little bit later but it can cause a lot of anxiety and stuff um sort of in the long run because you're trying to really balance like your values from two different ends it also causes issues with identity because you're like well, where the hell am I from and so if we just go back to your original question about third culture kids you could be a third culture kid by being just born in Australia your parents are maybe born in Sri Lanka and like you know you are navigating just that or like uh, for some third culture kids you know like born in Brazil grew up in London now I'm living in Australia like it's just you're, the question of like, where are you from? It's such a hard one because it's like, what do you answer as? Um, and I think that's, a, that's difficult, right? Like, because for some kids, what happens is when you're growing up and this is where the identity issue comes into places like when people are like, where are you from? You don't know what to say. Because if you're like, I'm from Australia then they're like, oh, but where are you really from? And I'm like, I don't know, like New Zealand. Yeah, but where are you really from? And I'm like, Fiji. But like, you don't look like Fijian. Uh, like, okay, so like I'm Indian. So, but like, have you been to India? No, I, you know, spend a lot of my time in New Zealand and Fiji. Okay, what, but where are you really? I don't know, man, where am I really from? It's a very frustrating question to like answer because where do you, how do you even answer that question? And like, you know, you, so it's like this whole concept of like too foreign for home, too foreign for here, like, where where do you fit in and I think a lot of third culture kids feel that it's like you you just aren't enough for any space that you sort of technically are from um and that can be super super disorienting especially you know what if, if you're a kid and if you're an adolescent and you're already going through puberty you're going through you know high school drama and the rest of it and you're going through your identity crisis you're chucking culture and gender identity into that as well mix and it just causes all of these like little existential crises that you go through. Um, and I feel I deal with adults even these days who just really struggle with that because they're like, oh, I don't know where I fit in. I don't know who I am. And I feel like I'm living seven different lives across multiple different cultures. Um, and there's just like another facet of this of like, you know, if you are from, for example, being Fijian Indian, um, a lot of Indian people and a had this experience growing up would be like but you're not really Indian and then you're like okay but then what am I and so it's like, yeah it's like it's really hard it's like again like where do you fit in so I think if you're a third culture kid and you're finally like I remember discovering this term and then being like wow this is what I am because it's like an actual identity that you can put on yourself and you're like yes I'm gonna take this because it's easier than explaining an entire world map and I feel like that's maybe what third culture kids feel like they need to pull down like a world map and be like so from here then my family traveled here and this is why and now I'm here and this is what I believe in. <laughs> um, from I guess touching on that I guess going to the opposite end how does the this kind of experience of being a third culture kid differ from those people whose family and host culture align? I think it differs because you struggle with your values, right? You struggle with like, I think if, if your, your host culture and your you know, home culture and everything's aligned, you sort of have more time to focus on, I want to say you, and you're like, you, you sort of like a little bit more grounded in your values or a little bit more grounded in the decisions that you choose to make. I think when you're living between different cultures and you're trying to figure out who 
how you are and where you fit in. It's just like, it's, it's an added pressure, I reckon. And I, I think, look, when I was growing up, um, something that I saw with some of my friends who were growing up between cultures, it was difficult for them because like my parents were quite open-minded, but like I had friends whose parents were a little bit more conservative. So when they left whatever, whatever country they left, they decided to hold on to the values of that time and just like stuck with it till now. Um, and so, you know, you'd see girls who weren't able to, weren't allowed to go dating or weren't allowed to, you know, for example, meet up with guys or do anything fun. Like, you know, you had fun yesterday, you can't have fun tomorrow. And so I think uh, one specific value clash that I can see across the board during that sort of time was um, people would be like, oh, I'm, I'm off studying. I'm at the library. Um, and my God, if they actually studied as much as they said they were studying, probably, probably would have been like, some kind of like I don't know working for NASA or something but you know but but because that's the excuse that they had to use in order to be able to see say their partners or to go out and hang out with their friends because the values were clashing between home and like what was expected of them uh versus what they were actually allowed to be doing and I think what what really messes you up there is like if you're quite an honest person and you're very open and you like to communicate and you're not able to do that then in your household this is where the intergenerational family conflict comes into place because your values and clash because you fundamentally as a person are not dishonest but you have to be because you don't have a choice it's either do that or don't live life at all and so it's just like little tiny things like that and that causes a lot of anxiety and then that causes stress and then you don't you know I've seen so many of my clients who've just been like oh you know because of like just factors like that or uh pressure from family or even pressure from society like society like viewing me differently I've because I've wanted to fit into a box I've either like let go of like my my home culture altogether and being like, I don't want to know anything about that. And then try to fit into this other community where I'm still seen as different um, and still not quite accepted. And then grown up and being like, oh shit, like I never learned my language. I never learned my culture. And now I want to go back and do it. And it feels almost too late. So it's, it's hard, I think, in that sense, because you never really settle in. Versus, I think even the research that I did last year is like the, the people who are able to strike a good balance between both spaces. And I did a really good podcast episode uh, on this with Jahin Denbir actually from Mayan. And we discussed how to strike a balance between your two different cultures. But once you do and you realize that you can be the same person in both places, it just brings equilibrium and you learn to navigate those spaces to, like in a sort of healthier way. Um, and you learn to have the open communication and yeah, sort of move forward from there. Um, I know you, you kind of spoke about the, the difficulty of being a third culture kid and then managing all the adolescent development, puberty, et cetera. Um, how does having to manage the cultural, I guess your cultural ambiguity um, on top of everything else that comes with being an adolescent, how does that kind of would that influence or affect someone's adolescent development or? Hmm. I don't know what if it would impact their development more than it would, more so I think it would impact their mental health because it causes a lot of stress and it causes a lot of anxiety. And then I think it's a knock-on effect from that. And so I guess, yeah, if we were to look at it holistically, it probably affect their development. But 
if you were to look at it when you break it down it's it's more so impacting their mental health and how and they and they're like their sociability as well like how you view yourself and quite often times like you know you might um almost like assume certain things in your own mind and then a result of that like the way that you behave socially or fit in socially or you know adapt socially as well all of that can impact you and we know how important social support is as well because if you're not making the right type of friends and you're not you know you feel like you don't fit in and you're like feeling loneliness and all of that sort of stuff it can be really really hard on young people because you know how big is your world really your big your world is this big that's what I always say to my teenagers your world is this big that's why you put up with the high school drama when it's happening because your world it consists of school your friends and your family and there's nothing else in it and so you haven't seen anything yet so how are you going to know any better than that um and so I think what I also noticed is like the, you know if you're throwing into the mix of like cultural identity is already hard to figure out so like am I am Australian or am I say I don't know Am I Chinese? Okay, but I'm Australian Chinese. So what does that mean for me? It means that I'm very family oriented and all of this stuff is really important. And the decisions that I make about my schooling right now and the ATAR score that I get determines what uni I get into and how proud I make my parents. Cool. That's, you know, like, do you see where the link is? Like, there's a lot more of that. And I'm not saying that, like, you know, Western cultures, that's not a pressure, but I think it's less of a pressure because we're not as into connected like there's an expectation of filial piety in Asian cultures for example that when you grow older you you're going to look after your parents essentially um and it's sort of unspoken about but it's there um and it's just like how we function as family units you know um so that idea is always sort of prevalent and you know that as a child and especially if you're a child of migrant parents you know how much they've sacrificed to have you here as well and so that exists and so I think you know, if you've got that already in the back of your mind and then, you know, like LGBTQI stigma is already quite high in like the general population. But when you come from, when you come from Eastern cultures, it's even bigger because we just don't talk about it. We're like, no, nah, it's illegal back home. I must, there must be something wrong with me. And like, you know, there's always this like, I don't know how to explain it, but I feel like Asian parents already like plan out your, like their children's lives from like the get go from when they're born. So Therefore, like you're expected to sort of follow this like timeline. And it's just like a societal expectation as well. There's a timeline for things that we're supposed to do by a certain age. So if you're going through like a gender, gender and sexual identity crisis at the same time of, of a cultural identity crisis, plus puberty, plus adolescence, like that's a lot of different factors. Plus you're trying to like stay afloat and study and manage your friendships and the rest of it. Like it's a lot of trying to fit in. And I think this is it, right? Like we as a community in a society and like this is just like as a whole in the world population we're always like let's fit in somewhere because we crave that we crave comfort we always now you know we sort of sort of uh migrate even like towards uh like attracts like kind of situations so like if people are moving from overseas they'll go into their own communities or even when you're at school you tend to sort of match up with the people who are very similar to you um so we're always trying to fit in as humans and it's like I guess as kids were never taught to like look out of the box and it's okay to be a little bit different. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think also working with children, I realized like kids can be really mean. You know, if, some, if something's a little bit off about you, they can be super mean about stuff. And like, mm. imagine, experience, imagine experiencing your first ever microaggression at like the age of like 10, because someone tells you that your skin color points out that your skin color is different to everybody else. I don't know if you watch it, but um, Hassan Minaj's Homecoming King, 
Is that the name of the, it's like a Netflix special. Oh my God. For anyone who wants to like, just watch like comedy, but something that will hit home and make you cry at the same time, go and watch that. It, he explains this entire um, situation so, so well. Um, and by the end of it, you're like, oh my God, like I get this. And he, he does really talk about like how hard it is to live between different cultures and like try to fit in and not really know how to fit in. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've heard, I've definitely heard the name Hazar Minaj, but I've never watched that special. So. Oh my God, Sabir, you need to go do it. I will, I will <laughs> link you after this. It is good. so good. <laughs> now from this episode, we've had WandaVision and Hasan Minaj Homecoming. So keep watching for more uh, recommendations. Come to me for recommendations. I yeah, like exactly. all of the Netflix recommendations. <laughs> exactly. So I guess, does, does balancing the demands of your family culture and your host culture have to be difficult? Or are there methods that you can have that make it less? I think it has to be difficult. I think when you're young, you think everything is difficult. Like I said, you don't, you haven't seen any, like anything else in the world. This is interesting. My research last year, between the younger, like the younger people who filled out my surveys, survey and the older people who filled out my survey the older people who sent me feedback were like if this was me if I was filling this out 10 years ago I would have filled this out so much differently and I was like what do you mean and they're like it just was so much more stressful and now I'm 10 years older than I was and like I realized you know obviously time has changed I'm older I've got a little bit more individuality and you know I've learned things the hard way but oh my god like you know if I had the tools when I was younger to navigate things it would just would have made like life so much easier so it doesn't have to be hard right uh a balance between your two different cultures doesn't have to be difficult and again it comes with having these conversations around your identity quite openly um identifying whether if it has actually been an issue for you because a lot of people we just I don't know when we're growing up we just tend to be dismissive of stuff right we're like this doesn't really matter. It's like, it is what it is. This is how life is supposed to be. Everything sucks. And then you get older and you start doing more introspection and you start talking to other people and you start talking to other people that are like you and you're like, okay, I'm not the only one. And that is helpful. So, you know, you can start off with something small. You know, if you're listening to this podcast episode and you're watching it, that's, that's a great beginning already. If you go and, you know, follow other places, I think, what are some really good ones? Um, I'll plug myself here. The Shore Project does a lot of talk around this sort of stuff, but so does Brown Banter. So does the Unseen Journal. Um, actually, the Unseen Journal is like just released like a, a list of um, podcasts that discuss this sort of stuff. Um, Being Brown does too. Two Brown Girls does as well. There's just like a there's a bunch of podcasts out there. That's a sort of a good space to start off with. Chai Chats and Community on Facebook Live. They do you know they talk about different issues it's just getting into the space even to like listen to these discussions is good before you start having them if you're like oh I don't really know what to talk about just see if you resonate with anything go and see a therapist you can come and see someone like me you can go see someone else there's lots of South Asian therapists out there there's lots of you know cultural therapists if you um are living between cultures I'd go to the Shapes and Sounds website um they've got a directory for all the different therapists within Australia, if you're looking for that. Um, and, you know, you can match up with someone and they can probably work through identity issues. That's probably like, that would be my suggestion. Um, if you're like, you know, if you're like a, a teacher or someone who's working within a school space, again, hit up a therapist and see like, you know, whether if one of us would be keen to come in and talk about this, you know, and talk to 
other members of staff uh, on how to like navigate that with kids. Um, I know my school is doing this whole thing. It's called uh, the student, the, I can't remember the name, but the, the acronym is SMADS. And I thought it was funny and I'm like, haha, SMADS. But I can't remember what it actually stands for. Anyways, it's, just a, it's a, like a student body. And like one of the smaller groups within SMADS is working around third culture kids because we have, we're very ethnically diverse at school. Um, and then they came up with all these wonderful ideas on how to like, you know, incorporate like uh, cultural diversity into the school. So we were thinking about cultural concepts. We were looking at like, um, you know, celebrating each different cultures, like, you know, important days, like Diwali, Chinese New Year, all that sort of stuff. Um, greeting people in different languages. Um, we started up a, a playlist. The, so the wellbeing playlist at school is one that I started up and we have everyone's favorite songs. So every time a kid comes from our office, I'm like, add a song to it. And we have lots of songs as well. So, you know, the Arabic songs and we've got Hindi songs and everyone just like adds whatever it is that they want. So like just sort of incorporating and like raising cultural awareness is really good as well. Um, and it's, I think it's super important so that people feel like they're accepted, I guess, almost. Um, I see this a lot with international students where like feeling accepted and feeling that uh, people are being culturally aware is super, super important to them. Um, Cause it gives you a sense of belonging, I think. And that's, I don't know, at the end of the day as humans, that's all we want to do. We want to belong. We want to belong to our family. We want to belong in our friendship groups. We want to belong in community and society. And it's because we don't like being alone. Yeah. So um, I, I know earlier in the podcast, we kind of touched on the stigma around, I guess, talking to your parents and idea of putting on movies or tv shows such as wandavision um mm-hmm. so how do how what's the best way to, in your opinion to start conversations about mental health with migrant parents that don't really understand the concept of it and i guess another important thing is the best way to keep it make sure that it's a positive experience yeah yeah that's a great question again i wouldn't go into it directly I mean, it depends who your parents are as well, right? If your parents are a little bit more open to like the conversation, you can't just be like, hey, mom, hey, dad, what do you, what's your thoughts on mental health? And they'd be like, it's stupid, go away. Um, what do you mean mental health? We don't know what that, what that means. Um, no, again, coming back to it, finding ways to have conversations. So whether if that means sharing a post with them, you know, there are so many like social media pages on mental health I know I post about that stuff all the time Umid has like a ton of stuff around that um if you want to get a ethnic parent's attention whatsapp them something that is the best way to do it I don't know if anyone else is out there but like this is just I know that my parents do this if, if something is whatsapp to them they're like they take it as gospel this thing is true it's truer than true it just needs to be like a really tacky video with some really bad background music and it has to be like science says and it's like in like colored letters and capitals or whatever and it's like okay yes we we believe in this all it's not even like you know it, it sort of sparks an interest and they'll look it up a little bit more but being able to send into infographics for example around mental health that's something really cool um or something that you know you think they might resonate with like i said earlier movies are great um or even like music if your parents love music turning on music and be like hey like ma like how does music make you feel and then they that's an easy question, right? How does music make you feel? So if you're was going to ask you, how does music make you feel? What would you tell me? I think music makes you feel like a lot of different emotions. Yeah. And it kind of just, I don't know, it's, it's, it's I guess it's for the purpose of the conversation, it's quite difficult to explain just how does music make you feel? Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's such a good 
um, that's a good thing. And I actually don't have an answer for you. Cool. <laughs> it's cool. Really so what I'm hearing is like music can change your mood. Music can yeah. have lots of different feelings attached to it. And then, okay, that's a great starting point. And then you just keep talking from there. Cool. Like, is there any particular song, mom, that makes you feel really happy? You know, what's your happy song? Oh, like this. Okay. Well, hey, do you ever feel, you know, X, Y, Z? Oh, yeah, sometimes, you know, like, you know, I was thinking about it, I was reading about it, they call that anxiety, or they call that depression. And I know, you know, people always talk about like, these things needing to have an issue, but you know, you can, you're allowed to feel how you, you know, how you're feeling, everyone's feelings are valid. I don't know, having those conversations, and like sort of discussing it's okay, not to be okay, is super important, I think, with parents to start off with, not even touching on like the words of anxiety, depression, just discussing that the feelings that you're having is valid. Because you know what I've noticed? That a lot of people, and I'm talking about the majority, will turn around and tell you that happiness is supposed to be your baseline. And if you're coming from an ethnic or a migrant background, happiness is always our baseline. If you are sad, you must change it and become happy. We're never taught to just sit with our feelings and just be sad. Like you're allowed to be sad for no reason. Okay. It's, it's okay, but we're not taught that. And I think learning that yourself first and then having those conversations. And like, if you ask your parents straight up, Again, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance, so a lot of um, clash in the way that parents think versus how they articulate themselves. But if you were to ask a parent, like, oh, do you think it's okay just to be like sad for no reason? Just see what they like, what they say to you. Because you might be like, it's okay to be not okay. No, it's okay to not be okay. But they might be like, oh, no, but like you need a reason to be sad. And they'd be like, well, haven't you ever felt sad for no reason, mom? Like, or dad or whatever. I mean, dads are a little bit harder I think in the ethnic space but moms tend to be a little bit more open to the emotional side of things um but starting conversation in a very small generic sense and then building your way up again um and it doesn't have to be a hard conversation again I think a lot of people think you've got to go in and deep dive into trauma in order to have a conversation around mental health you don't um and also like emphasizing the fact that everyone's got mental health like that could even be the first conversation. You could be like, tell me about your physical health. Okay, physical health is this. What's your mental health? Your brain is the most important organ in your entire body. It helps you function. If you are not going to exercise your brain and sort out your mental health issues, no part of you is going to work. Very true. I think I, I, that's one of my favorite phrases is it's okay to not be okay. That's something that I think I live by. And I think it is the motto of the Wellness Warrior team. So um yeah, I think that's such an important message. Um, just going on from that, do you have any advice for uh, those students who are listening today and have resonated with some of the things that you've said? Um, if you're struggling with identity or cultural identity and you don't know where you fit in or where you belong, it's okay. Um, talk about it. You can work through it. It's going to be all right. Um, just strike a bit of a balance. And look, really reevaluate your values, guys. Um, it is okay to not be okay. I know talking to your parents is really hard and it seems really scary, but you know what? Once you get that conversation going, it might actually not be as scary as you think it is. I think we tend to build up a lot of misconceptions in our head uh, around certain things and it's okay. Um, you don't also, also, you're not alone in this. Like if you're worried about doing this stuff, you can come and talk to a therapist. By all means, something that I do with a lot of my clients is I'll be like, okay, cool. You want to talk to your parents about something. 
let's sit down and practice that together. And then we figure out ways to talk about things and how to communicate openly with, you know, because it's not as easy as the, as it might seem. And I'm, I'm never like, don't go talk to your parents, but I'll be like, let's sort you out first. And then let's figure out how we would articulate this in a way that maybe is a little bit more gentler and not as abrupt with your family. Um, because trust me, there was nothing more stressful than when I was young and going to a therapist. And I'm like, why don't you just talk to your family? And I'm like, mm. I don't don't think, I don't know whether they actually understand this yet. And, you know, I've obviously taken the journey to become a therapist. My family understands mental health because I studied this stuff. So they had to learn it. And it was like a a whole process going through that, you know. And I I mean, a lot of, you know, kids also struggle with the idea of like, well, my parents need to go to therapy, but I don't know how to convince them to go do that thing. So how do we have those conversations with them as well without making them feel like there's something wrong with them? Nothing has to be wrong with you to go to therapy to begin with, guys. It's another whole other ball game but um yeah my advice would be seek out help um talk to someone whether if you're talking to your friends your family members whether if you're talking to a therapist or someone within your community there are so many different spaces for support um yeah look at those resources and start small it doesn't have to be big steps baby steps are good yeah i think that's that's great advice and something that i'll definitely take as well from from having a conversation with you. Um, Lastly, we have this saying at the Wellness Warriors that goes, you can't pour from an empty cup, which essentially means that when you're having a rough time, your ability to move through daily life and help others is diminished. So I guess a good question to ask is, what do you do to personally fill your cup? Okay, I love this because I also tell people this a lot. Um, Self-care, guys, get enough sleep, drink enough water. Um, I paint. I watch Netflix, I'll take mental health days. So, you know, if I'm feeling like, nope, things are not gonna be good for me, I'll take a day off and I'll just do nothing. I read, what else do I do? I listen to music, go for walks, exercise is great. Um, Dance, in my kitchen, nothing fancy guys. Um, I eat good food. Sometimes I eat not so good food. This week I had a whole tub of ice cream to myself in one sitting because I was like self-care uh take that great yeah it was oh my god it was so good but so unhealthy (laughs) never again I felt so good afterwards though so I was like it's worth it yeah yeah um I'll walk it off um (laughs) (laughs) no it it was great um yeah cooking what else do I do yeah I like cooking cooking's fun I like hanging out with my friends I'll call my call my close friends and have a chat with them spend time with my mom I have a dog. I'll go hang out with my dog. Um, yeah, lots of little things. I found that different days, different things make a, make a difference to me. I would recommend probably making a list of the things that you really enjoy doing. And sometimes, you know, when you're in the spur of the moment and you, you need to fill your cup up, maybe one thing will resonate with you more than something else. And it's just, it's hard to think of it at the time. So having a list when you are in a good mood is a good idea. I think yeah I think that's a great great note to end on because unfortunately we have run out of time for today but um, thank you Anushka for joining us for today's episode of Tea and Talk Um, and thank you to all of our Tea and Talkers for listening in and I really hope we hope you enjoyed today's chat Um, as always if you have any questions or topics you want us to chat about you can reach out to us at our at Arc Wellness UNSW on Instagram or email us at wellness at arc.unsw.edu.au. Um, otherwise, take care, check in on your mates and reach out if you need support and make sure you emphasize self-care as Anushka just 
told you. Um, and we'll see you next time for another cup of tea. Thank you and goodbye.